Keep up with the new. Keep up with the important. Keep up with it all on Keeping Up With The Current. Get your news fix for the day, stay informed and up to date with current affairs and the issues that matter. Nadia has you covered on Keeping Up With The Current. I'm sure most of us have noticed a great deal of mould present inside our homes, on our ceilings, on our carpets, on our furniture. Well, blame the torrential rain and high humidity, the perfect breeding ground for toxic mould. Brad Present is a public health and occupational health scientist with epidemiology and public health perspective, and he joins us now to give us the awareness we need about the damaging risks associated with mould and how to treat them properly. Brad, thank you for your time on 2MFM's Keeping Up With The Current. Oh, thank you, Nadia. Well, for the benefit of our listeners who don't know you and your background, I thought we could, I guess, start off with you telling us a little bit about what you do and what brought you to the field of occupational health and epidemiology. Well, I'll try and make it brief since I'm sure your listeners are much more interested in the topic than in me. (laughs) But uh, my background is in public health and occupational health and in indoor air quality. So uh, I kind of have one foot in the discipline of health and one foot in the discipline of engineering. And I try and apply those skills to address a number of different types of hazards and airborne substances that could be present in the indoor environment, from mold to COVID to asbestos fibers and other things like that. And the application can either be in a workplace where you're handling specific chemicals or physical substances, or it could be in a home, single or multifamily, or even a public building where there is water damage, excess indoor moisture from one reason or another, and then the symptoms of that, which is mold growth. Well, it's no secret uh, that dangerous mold is ravaging our homes across Sydney. For those who don't have a clue, what is mold and why is it growing inside our homes? Well, normally when you build a building, we intend to keep all of the building materials dry uh, just as part of the construction process. That's really essential. And we use a lot of materials to construct buildings that are organic in nature. In other words, they are derived from plants or trees or whatever, things like solid wood, uh, things like product made with wood, like uh, compressed flooring that's composed of wood dusts and glues, and other products like that, such as the paper uh, that covers both sides of plastic There's a gypsum layer in the middle, but there's paper on both sides. And those type of materials, when the ambient humidity stays high for a very long time, absorb that moisture from the air, and all of the normal fungal spores that are present in our environment at relatively high levels outdoors and indoors, just completely normal, pollens and mold spores float around everywhere, they're able to germinate when the moisture in the material reaches a certain critical level. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing uh, fungal growth as the visible manifestation of really excess moisture that's been absorbed into these building materials. We know in some cases uh, mold problems are obvious. It could be from 
musty odours in a specific area of the home, which could signal the presence of mould growth. And there's also visible mould growth that could be spotted on the bathroom ceiling, for example. Now, is all mould visible or is it possible for people not to even realise that they have mould issues in their home? Well, generally, as molds grow, they start out as filaments, kind of like uh, spaghetti moving along the surface. Some of these filaments go down into the material to absorb moisture and excrete enzymes that digest the organic materials and provide the food for growth. And then at some point, that material that we call uh, mycelium, at some point it may send up these little trees uh, and on those form ornaments that are spores. So sometimes we don't see the white or colorless hyphae, the little filaments, the spaghetti stuff, but we do see the darkly pigmented spores when the mold actually sporulates. So that, that's its life cycle. It grows, it uh, sucks energy and water from the materials that it's on, and then it reproduces by producing you know, massive quantities of these spores that then float around in the air, settle on another surface, and can grow. But sometimes we only see it when it's sporulating because of the color of the spores. But generally, if you have high ambient humidity for a long enough period of time, eventually the dust on the surface will get wet enough that you'll allow these spores to germinate. Because often it looks like fuzz or appears to be a stain, a sort of smudge or perhaps sometimes discoloration. And it can be proven to be problematic because, you know, when mould is not always easy to recognise, if we leave it untouched or untreated, the problem will worsen. Now, what are the most common places for mould growth inside the home? Well, you're correct that we don't want to allow those conditions to persist. Um, mold is just a, the visible manifestation of indoor dampness uh, because there's other biological things that are actually happening that we can't see. Like we can't see the growth of bacteria. Uh, we may not see the uh, small mites that are crawling around and eating some of the things that are growing as a result of the moisture. But those are the kinds of uh in essence, activities that happen with indoor dampness. And then you end up with all this biological flotsam and jetsam, is how I think of it. All of this biological particulate that shouldn't be there. And we've come aware of that because the molds are visible, but a lot of this other stuff isn't. So how do we get this indoor dampness? Well, we're going to get it any place that we have high humidities that result in condensation on surfaces. So it's not unusual, as you mentioned, to see it in a bathroom because when you shower, uh, you're going to create a lot of high humidity. If that bathroom sits on the perimeter of the building and it's cool outside, that wall and the glass in the window there is going to be relatively cool. And that's going to be the first place that that high ambient humidity condenses. And then it absorbs into whatever building material we're talking of, or if it's glass, perhaps it runs down and sits in that crack between the glass and the sill, and that's where you'll see the first growth of mold. So in kitchens as well, if we're generating high humidity, uh, when perhaps that high humidity air hits the roof or another perimeter wall, it will condense. So the places we'll see it is going to be the coolest surfaces first. And also the surfaces that have poor ventilation. So perhaps that might happen behind the couch pushed against the wall. 
because there's not very good ventilation to carry away that moisture behind the couch. Or perhaps it might happen in your closet on your shoes uh, at the base of the wall where it's relatively cool because your house has a concrete slab and that slab is rather cool. Therefore, the floor is rather cool. So any place that has poor ventilation or is cooler than other surfaces will be the first place you'll see it grow. Mm. And I think the issue really is that there are a lot of hidden sources of mould which can be found you know, on things like indoor furniture, perhaps underneath a chair or behind a bedhead. So what are some of your tricks for locating hidden sources of mould growth? Yes, there's hidden uh, places where mold grows, but there's also visible places where we generate moisture. Mm -hmm. So particularly when we have very high ambient humidity, we really want to minimize the moisture that's generated indoors. And when we generate moisture indoors, we really want to ventilate it out as much as possible. So there are some practices that we do here in Australia that are, you could hear from my accent, I wasn't born here. I practiced for many years in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And in the U.S., we don't have dryers that empty their exhaust into the ambient environment indoors. Mm. We have vented dryers. So every time you operate a dryer or you dry your clothes indoors, you're adding humidity to the air. If you have a rice cooker uh, that's not underneath the hob hood, uh, such that you're venting uh, that moisture, you're introducing additional moisture into the air. If you don't turn on the fan in your bathroom, you're adding additional moisture. If you don't have a fan in your bathroom <laughs> or you don't have a, uh, a hood over your hob that's effectively exhausting mm. outdoors, and a lot you're of, adding additional moisture. A lot of people have really hot showers. They close all the windows and they don't turn the bathroom fan on. So that's a recipe, I guess, for mold disaster, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I mean, and we're seeing, you know, we're tipping over the edge into mold growth here because you may have been able to get away with that when the ambient humidity outdoors was relatively low over time or you had a number of days with drying humidity. But when you get the kind of weather that we've seen in New South Wales and Queensland, then you're going to, you know, those problems are going to show up much more because there isn't any good outdoor drying occurring because it's so moist and not such high humidity outdoors. Mm. So high humidity is a huge problem you know, in Australia. And the thing is we tend to insulate our homes to keep the heated or air-conditioned air inside the building and we forget that we reduce airflow and increase the air humidity. So it's, it's proven to be quite problematic, especially in our country. We also have the added problem that kind of in the old days when we had air conditioners, they uh, cooled the air to a very, very cold temperature, pulled the moisture out of it from condensation on those very cold coils, and then exhausted the air with less humidity and, of course, much cooler into the building. But now everybody has focused on energy efficiency. So we may have what are called split system heat pumps, those kind of white boxes uh, that you have on the, near the ceiling in your room. And those are designed to operate with the least cost. And very often they don't actually have a cooling coil that's so cold that it pulls the moisture out of the air. So they don't dehumidify as well as the old inefficient systems did. And that's a problem as well. Mm. So we really have to look at the issue of dehumidification under these conditions indoors. So the two key things are, one, to reduce your generation of 
of moisture indoors and reduce your generation of humidity. And two, find a, a technology that's going to dehumidify as well as cool or instead of cooling. So a dehumidifier that sits in the room may not actually cool the air, but it may pull moisture out of it. An air conditioner that is set up to cool the air to a very low temperature and drop it below what we call its dew point, which is the point at which the moisture condenses out onto the coil and is removed from the air, will also accomplish that as well as cool the air. So, so the key is to go back to the technologies we used previously. There might be a small energy penalty there, uh, unfortunately, but we can't, we can't cool the air without dehumidifying it unless we also dehumidify it with a separate appliance. And that's the problem. We have to dehumidify the air through one method or another, and we have to reduce or minimize or eliminate our generation of moisture indoors and, and or exhaust that moisture before it has a chance to add to the humidity indoors. Mm. So the key to mold prevention, mold control, is, is moisture control. So moisture control yeah, is the key to mold control. And a lot of people don't realize that that's the, the first problem you need to fix, which is the moisture and humidity in your environment. And that's how we keep the growth of mold from reoccurring in our home. That's ex exactly correct. Unfortunately, what people do instead is they attack the fungal growth with some type of a chemical mm, or, like bleach they try or something. clean it off. Mm. Yeah, and that's not the that's not the way to control it. The way to control it is to reduce the humidity and reduce the, in essence, the water content of the materials that are growing the mold. Mm. So, what's the process like for testing for mold in your home environment and getting rid of it? Is that something you know any one of us can do, or is it important to seek the advice of an occupational hygienist or building restoration professional, especially if there are larger areas of mold present? Yeah, at the point where you're starting to think about testing for mold, uh, then it's maybe time to call in a professional. But, you know, mold is generally visible. And again, it is the visible manifestation of excess moisture indoors uh, and all of that biological flotsam and jetsam that might be associated with that indoor dampness. So if you're seeing, you know, anything more than very localized, tiny amounts of mold, you know, in your bathroom, around the perimeter of the faucet in the kitchen, those things are normal, and that's not a reason to call a professional. But when you're seeing, you know, more than 10 or 20 square centimeters of mold, and you're seeing it on ceilings, you're seeing it on walls, on plasterboard, this and that, then you, then you really need the help of a professional. And the first thing to do is really not to test. The first thing to do is to go to the source of the problem and try and eliminate that source. We, we only test for mold uh, when we suspect perhaps something like there's fungal growth inside a wall cavity and some of that particulate is coming out and identifying that rather than just rip off all the plasterboard and look. Uh, and then it could be useful to test the air in the space. But the first response really shouldn't be testing or bringing in a professional. The first response should be trying to get some help if you need it or just on your own, managing that indoor moisture. So, you know, let's say someone notices some spores on top of their bathroom ceiling and they want to, you know, clean it. What is the best way to do it? And is it necessary to wear protective gear uh, when cleaning the mold? The first thing is to try to figure out why you're getting that. Perhaps you don't have an insulated ceiling in your bathroom and you may want to consider putting an insulated ceiling there to reduce 
the coldness of that surface that's causing that condensation, or you might want to install a more effective fan. But at the point after you've fixed that, figured out why and fixed that so that it doesn't occur again, that's when you would want to clean. So if you don't fix the underlying problem and you clean, it's just going to come back. Mm. And you really don't want to be in this endless cycle of instead of going to the root of the problem and solving it, just constantly cleaning the symptoms of it. Uh, that's not very useful. Uh, and you still have all that indoor ambient humidity that's associated with what we call indoor moisture. So at the point when you solve the problem and you're beginning to clean it, then generally wet wiping and vacuuming are the techniques that are used. Uh, those are what are used professionally. Um, and the professionals use a microfiber cloth with a just like a liquid detergent type material to clean, and they use a vacuum that filters the exhaust air, a HEPA-type vacuum, so that the small particles coming off of the surface don't get blown into the air of the house. Um, there are a lot of commercial vacuums that do that, but then there's a lot of consumer vacuums that have HEPA filters on the exhaust as well, and people already may own those types of vacuums. Mm. So, so um, there are types of technology and equipment that can help you with that. Yeah, there are. But, you know, cleaning mold is really, you don't really need anything that's going to try and kill it mm. because we're simply trying to remove the fungal growth mm. and what we call a surfactant, which is just basically a detergent, something like a dishwasher, not mm. dishwasher, but dish cleaning detergent, the stuff you use in your sink on a, on a sponge. That type of a detergent is fine. Uh, it just allows the water to penetrate and you're wiping away with a microfiber cloth the actual fungal mass. Uh, but if you don't uh, manage the moisture, it'll come back. So after you do that, you need to have that area dry. And if it stays dry, the fungal growth won't come back. Mm. So let's say, for example, you want to have a shower in the bathroom. Is it important to, you know, keep the window open? Because you know how there's usually, you know, it causes window condensation. It causes moisture on our windows. Is that a sign that you should keep, you know, the windows open in addition to keeping the fan on? Yeah, you could do that. I think if you operate the fan and the fan is exhausting uh, the air from the bathroom effectively, um, it will pull air from the other parts of the building. If you open the window, that might increase the ventilation rate, provide a, an easier, less resistant pathway to airflow out of the room. So that's good. And perhaps some of the moist air will exit by the window as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's certainly uh, a good thing to do. Uh, in most cases, that will improve the ventilation, reduce the moisture load. Um, so, yeah, that would yeah. be a great idea. What about in terms of, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people's homes were subject to flooding quite recently. So if your house has been subject to flooding, um, what kind of surfaces or material can be recovered or salvaged? Okay, so that's a bit of a different situation. We've been talking a lot about high ambient humidity, but we haven't been talking about flooding per se, mm. and flooding could occur because you have a leak in the shower pan, uh, and that could be liquid water that's escaping. It could be because you have a plumbing leak from an internal connection that's dripping inside the walls or something like that, or you could have a, uh, a um, connector under the sink that breaks off or starts leaking, a toilet that starts leaking, all of those, as well as actual flooding 
from a flood in the neighborhood can cause lots of liquid water to escape. The problem there is that once that water gets into the house, and particularly when you have flooding from a flooding incident in the neighborhood, it's going to absorb into all of the building materials. And stuff like plasterboard Mm. is a sponge with food on both sides. So it's the ideal material to grow mold. It's very difficult to pull the water out from that gypsum layer because the gypsum just sucks up the moisture and holds it like a sponge would. And what you really have to do is when you get that type of a flooding, after the water has kind of left, you have to collect all of that moisture. So some of the moisture may just be sitting there on the floor and you could vacuum it up with a wet vac, but a lot of it is incorporated into building materials. It's absorbed into the building materials. It's absorbed into the wood. It's absorbed into the plasterboard. It's absorbed into the concrete slab if the house sits on a concrete slab on the ground. All of that moisture has to be pulled out and taken away. And the really wet porous materials like plasterboard have to be stripped out because they're just too wet and they've been too wet for too long to reclaim. So the first step is to get rid of all the liquid water. The second step is to strip out all the materials that are heavily saturated. And then the third step is to begin drying the space. Now that drying, if the outdoor conditions are relatively low in humidity, that drying can happen naturally just from ventilation from the out of doors, open doors and windows. But in places like Queensland and New South Wales, where the ambient humidity is so high, that's not going to be effective. So you're going to want to have a professional dry the air inside the house using dehumidifiers and other technologies, heating and dehumidification, to suck that moisture from the building materials into the air and then convert it to a liquid form in the dehumidifier and then send that down the drain. Mm. So in essence, every little bit of water that flooded or was released indoors has to be collected. The easy thing is is wet vacuuming up the stuff that's visible. The hard thing is sucking it out of all the building materials. So you want to give that process a head start by removing all the saturated materials. And that's why you see people sometimes pulling the bottom 400 millimeters of plasterboard that got wet and is soaked uh, from a flooded home before they begin the drying process. But then you have to dry the wood studs that are in the wall. You have to dry the concrete slab. You have to dry anything that absorbs uh, that moisture. And, of course, if you have furniture and furnishings that absorb moisture, you want to get them out because you want all your drying efforts to be directed to the building material. And if there's any, like, of course, furniture that's been exposed to water, then... You know, it's going to have that moisture as well and going to be exposed to that that mold growth as well because anything that's exposed to moisture or humidity is highly likely to be inflicted with mold. Yeah, those materials also have to be dried as rapidly as possible. If you dry stuff really quickly, you don't get mold. Yeah. It's just when they stay wet for a prolonged period of time that the mold grows. So it takes a bit of time for the mold to grow. Exactly. So we spoke about, you know, what to do in the case if we haven't been flooded, but there's moisture present. Um, And and you also spoke about if, you know, your home has been subject to flooding. Now, one thing we haven't spoken about is the health problems, the risks that it can cause as a result of being exposed to mould. So what are the potential health hazards of mould? Well, the science is really clear in terms of what we call indoor dampness. So indoor dampness, 
results in exacerbation of a number of pre-existing conditions like asthma. It can result in initiation of asthma in some cases, both in children and adults, if you spend a long time in a building that has high levels of indoor moisture. Um, it can also cause eczema. Um, and in general, what what goes on when you have all of that biologic flotsam and jetsam I mentioned that includes mold but isn't limited to mold is that we're breathing in all this fine particulate that settles in the upper and lower respiratory system. And the nature of that fungal material and some of the biological material is that they're somewhat inflammatory and irritating to the tissue. So our bodies are going to respond to different ways. Maybe one out of every five people might have an allergy to that material, and they might have quite profound response, health response, uh, including you know asthma, where someone's lungs can kind of just close up and they find it very difficult to breathe. Uh, but all of us are going to be irritated or our, our internal tissues are going to be inflamed by the irritants that are just standard nature of what comp comprises mold. So molds have, uh, have uh, cell walls that contain sugars that are irritating. They contain chitin, the same material that uh, crab shells are made out of, that really hard, amazing biologic material. It also is what gives the rigidity to the fungal cell wall, and it's inflammatory when you breathe it in in tiny little particles, which is what you get when you have fungal growth indoors, all sorts of tiny particles floating around the air indoors. So many of us can be irritated, inflamed. That might manifest in stuff like excess respiratory infection. It might manifest in terms of cough or uh, congestion, upper respiratory congestion. So a lot of relatively mild symptoms can occur in everyone as a result, and certain members of the population are particularly sensitive or susceptible. People who are atopic or who have asthma are maybe perhaps more susceptible because they have an allergic reaction, which could be more profound and serious medically. So all of us have some vulnerability, and some of us are particularly susceptible. And then if you have people who are immunocompromised or people who are undergoing cancer treatments, or people who have cystic fibrosis, uh, or people who are elderly and have other compromising health conditions. It's possible, but rare, that they, people can actually develop a fungal infection as a result of breathing in fungal material. Mm. So that's not an issue for 99 point something percent of us, but there is that very vulnerable subset of the population Mm. Uh, who have that vulnerability. Right. So, so all of us are susceptible to, to these kind of lower level irritant effects and some mm. of us to more profound yeah. asthmatic type effects. And, you know, asthma is a pretty big deal. It is. Yeah. Uh, the uh, diagnosed numbers of children with asthma has increased over the last several decades. Uh, so asthma mm. can be pretty serious. And, you know, we know from all the thunderstorms asthma incidents in Victoria, that people can actually die from asthma. Mm. So, uh, you know, we really want to be careful that we don't uh, find, have environmental sources, especially in your home where you're spending 24-7, yep. that are exacerbating pre-existing asthma or causing asthma to develop in children and adults. Absolutely. So health-related reactions in people depend on a number of factors, including mold type, the amount and duration of exposure, and of course, individual characteristics. So you mentioned specifically, you know, people with asthma, 
um, allergies or other breathing conditions, they may be more sensitive to mold. And I'm noticing that more frequently nowadays where people are not recovering as quickly as they thought they would um, and, and they're just they're getting sick very often there's sinus issues phlegm issues respiratory issues that people are having to deal with at this current time so I feel like you know with with the you know increase in moisture and humidity and, and mold contamination more and more people are getting sick at the moment so I think it's you know it's important for people to start to realise that, you know, there's an underlying issue because you're spending most of your time at home, you're being exposed to this bacteria. So it's really important for people to to be aware and to take the necessary steps required in order to live a high standard of quality. Yeah, yeah, it's important for everyone uh, and it's particularly important. If your doctor has ever told you that you're atopic, then you might have a tendency to or developing an allergic reaction. So again, it's not just the mold, it's all the biological activity, almost like when you make all these building materials wet, it's like a biological spark that initiates a firestorm of biologic growth. We can only see the mold. So we think it's only mold that's growing, but all sorts of other changes are happening as well. And that combined biologic flossum and jetsum is what is irritating, allergenic, and, uh, you know, potentially could cause the kinds of symptoms that you're talking about. Of course, we also experience those symptoms from lots of, for lots of other reasons, mm-hmm. you know, from flu to normal colds to COVID to all these other mm-hmm. uh, sources of, exactly, some of which are environmental, some of which are infectious, but that whole burden of disease, you know, there's a significant contribution to that burden of disease from indoor dampness. Uh, and estimates of how many homes normally have indo- indoor dampness in Australia, you know, range from 20 to 30 percent. So that's absent all of the weather we've had in New South Wales and Queensland and the flooding and all of that sort of stuff. Obviously, in those areas, as a result of those incidents, we might have a lot higher amounts of indoor dampness in homes. Well, Brad President, Public Health and Occupational Health Scientist, it's been so insightful. Uh, thank you on behalf of our Tuam FM listeners for sharing so much valuable and critical information about mould contamination and its treatment as well as prevention. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to increase people's awareness around some of these public health concerns. Keep up with the new. Keep up with the important. Keep up with it all 
on keeping up with the current. Get your news fix for the day, stay informed and up to date with current affairs and the issues that matter. Nadia has you covered on keeping up with the current.